Let's have a word of prayer, and we'll get into this. Lord, we love you, and, and I'm so grateful, Jesus, that you didn't leave us um, having to try to fend for ourselves when we go through difficult times, when we go through hardship, specifically hardships with one another, when we, when we bump into each other and, and have conflict and difficulty, uh, that you, you didn't leave us unequipped, but you gave us clarity in the word on how our hearts can be free. And that's really what we're after, is having a free heart in love, living by the word of God and by the power of the word that sets us free. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. It's what you promised us. And Lord, so I pray right now for the revelation of the word, the truth of the word of God, for that to go deep into our soul, deep into our spirit, that we would be free in this area of conflict, unforgiveness, and offense. And you instructed us that that our hearts, are, are, that love would abound still more and more in our hearts, that we would approve the things that are excellent, that we'd be sincere and without offense until the day you return. So Lord, I pray that right now over our spiritual family, over all those watching online, and I ask for revelation to be released and grace to empower us to walk these things out. Now, Lord, I pray, hold my hand, let me speak as your oracle right now. In the name of Jesus, and everybody said, amen. All right, let's go ahead, and Roman numeral one, I want to talk about the, the defiling power of offense, and I want to look at Hebrews chapter 12. This is an important verse, because it describes in detail the depths of what offense can do to us, and I want to start here so that we can sort of get clarity again on how challenging and how poisonous uh, offense can be, unforgiveness can be, and, and then uh, get this biblical teaching of it, and then I want to take us through the process of how we walk out of it. Now, I want to really just mention this, that I feel that we have to learn how to walk through offense even more and more. Because the days are growing more challenging, more difficult, and offense is one of the clear attacks the enemy is going to use um, at the end of the age. Many people are going to be offended, like we talked about last week. So I'm really, I'm calling you to attention right now. And I would say in 25 years of ministry, not every problem, but many, I mean, the majority of pastoral uh, counseling uh, issues that I've had to walk through with people have some root somewhere in an unforgiveness or in an offense that wasn't dealt with. In 25 years of ministry, I can say that, that the majority of issues that I've had to walk people through have to do with some, some issue of hurt or offense that wasn't properly dealt with. And, and so that's why there's so much in the scripture about it to help us to live free. All right, let's look at this. Hebrews chapter 12. Verse 14, if you have the notes up, I've underlined a few key phrases, but here it is. Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord, looking carefully lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. That's a huge phrase. Looking carefully lest anyone fall short of the grace of God lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. And then verse 16, very interesting tie-in that I want to explain. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright, for you know that afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. What an interesting connection to Esau. Well, the first thing that I want to emphasize from this passage is that we are to pursue peace with all people. So when there is a conflict that we are dealing with, the biblical admonition is that we are to go for peace. How can we position ourselves to go after peace with that person? How can we 
walk through a process to get to peace. What's challenging about this is that it says all people. It doesn't give some sort of exception. Pursue peace except for that person that tap dances on your last nerve at work. Pursue peace except for your uncle because he's weird anyway. Thanksgiving proved that. You know, it's pursue peace with all people. Everybody say all people. This is the admonition for believers. It's a radical, radical lifestyle. Now, here's the thing. Sometimes if you're pursuing peace, you know, it takes two to tango to get peace, right? Everybody's got to lay down their weapons. And so you're pursuing peace. Sometimes as you're pursuing peace, the uh, other party isn't necessarily participating. And so at that point, it, it, it's a challenge because how do, we, how do we get peace? How do we come to peace? And, and here's the thing that Romans, Paul said it this way in Romans 12, verse 18. He says, as much as it depends on you, be at peace. As much as it depends on you, which means that when it comes to conflict and walking through challenges, that each of us has our own responsibility to pursue it. And if we can't come to peace with an individual, that we have to get peace in our own heart. And that doesn't mean that we just stuff it down and try to ignore that person every time we see him. It means that we come to a place of liberty and forgiveness and a free heart internally, even if we can't get it with that other person. Amen. This is the way believers are called to live. Now, it's interesting because this passage, he, he uses this example of Esau. And, and, and he, he says, listen, don't, he goes, don't allow a root of bitterness to spring up inside of you that will defile many. You know, bitterness is offense that, that has gone unchecked and it gets into your soul, and it's not only offense that's, that's gone unchecked, but now it's poisoned you so that the way that you live right now has been impacted by one hurt that happened in the past. You know, it's so shocking to me, but this is just real. 25 years of pastoral ministry. I have ministered to people, met people that are living 40, 50 years, 25 years after a hurt that didn't get resolved. And, and it's one hurt, one maybe major issue from 25 or 50 years ago, and it has impacted the entirety of their lives. Hear me. Until every single person and every single situation that they look at, they, are, they look at it colored through the lenses of this one situation. Beloved, that's called a root of bitterness. It's unforgiveness that's given birth to offense that's gone completely unchecked. And, and you, I've met people, it's the, it's the most terrible, painful thought that they've lived their entire lives poisoned by one activity that took place decades earlier. The writer of Hebrews, he's admonishing, he says, don't let that happen, because not only will it defile you, it'll defile others around you. He goes, a root of bitterness, it springs up and it defiles many. And then he uses this interesting comparison. He goes, lest there be any fornicator, profane person like Esau, who sold uh, for one morsel of food, sold his birthright. And I, usually when I've read that passage right there, I go, I don't get why you're tying in Esau and you're calling him a fornicator. We're talking about bitterness. I don't get it. And what it is is in this passage in the New King James, it's, it uses fornicator uh, or profane person. That's the phrase. But in other translations, it uses uh, immoral or godless. He goes, lest there be any immoral or godless person like Esau. And the point is, like Esau, don't let a root of bitterness spring up and defile people, defiling you and others. Well, what was the story with Esau? Esau, he's the brother of Jacob. Jacob was a deceiver. And Jacob, 
even from birth, was given to treachery and deception. And I'm just going to fill in the blanks here with my opinion, but it seems like by the time they're adults, Esau has lived a lifetime under the treachery of his deceiving brother, Jacob. And so what's the deal? Esau, he's never worked through the treachery. He never, never worked through the fact that his brother had deceived him all these different times throughout his life. And so by the time they're adults, and when it comes time for him to, to step into the authority that, that God's given Esau as the firstborn, he is completely defiled with unforgiveness and bitterness. And he literally, listen, sells out his inheritance, who he's supposed to be, because he's defiled with bitterness. And the writer of Hebrews is telling us this, that you can forfeit everything if you allow bitterness to take root in you. You can forfeit your inheritance. You can forfeit all the authority that God's given you. You can forfeit your whole life. Wouldn't it be amazing? What if Esau had operated in forgiveness? It's not that Jacob wasn't a, a deceiver. He definitely was. But what if Esau had operated in forgiveness all those years? What if he continued to forgive and forgive and forgive and forgive? I believe he would have stepped right into the birthright. But instead, he let the, the pain of, of, of Jacob's deceptions hook him with unforgiveness. And the unforgiveness turned into offense over years, and that turned into bitterness, and ultimately he completely forfeited his entire destiny. Are you hearing me? Beloved, this is serious. Don't forfeit the call of God on your life. Don't forfeit who you're called to be by allowing offense to root in you, to poison you, to make you bitter until literally everything in your life is viewed through past hurts. Now, I know this is easier said than done. What I'm saying is, is challenging because every single person in this room, including myself, we've all been hurt by someone at some time. But do you know what else is true? We've all hurt somebody somewhere sometime. And so it's in this knowledge that we as frail, broken people who make huge mistakes, who hurt people, that we actually have to receive forgiveness and we have to give forgiveness. That's just so we can be free. That's just so we can live free. And I'll just tell you, over the years, it's so wild to me because I can, I've met so many people and so many stories. And, you know, when you sit in a, in a pastor's chair, you, you, you get to a place where you think you've just heard everything. I mean, you've just literally heard everything. And, and it's, you, you just don't get shocked anymore because so many people have been through so many difficult challenges. But one of the most interesting things to me is watching people and how they've managed hurt over the years. Dustin could attest to this. And and Ash and Jeff. And, but here's the thing. You'll find people with similar stories and one person, their heart is completely free. All the negative things that happened to them, they've completely forgiven them and they're, they've completely moved forward. And then you'll find somebody with almost the exact same story and their whole life has been defined by that one act of hurt and unforgiveness. And beloved, I want to tell you something. That's not your portion. That's not how you're, you're invited to live in Jesus. You can be free. You don't have to live under that oppression of, of uh, uh, offense and bitterness. Can I get a better amen? All right, so it's with that in mind, I want to look at Jesus' guidelines regarding offense. And again, I want, to, I want to really strongly encourage you to go back, review the notes, because I give so many verses in the notes. It will, it will just move your heart. But uh, Jesus, regarding offense, regarding unforgiveness and conflict, he's, you know, Jesus is pretty brilliant. He's kind of the smartest one ever. I mean, he is brilliant. And what he literally puts in the scripture is no room for unforgiveness and offense. To, to be able to take root in our lives. And it's because he understands the powerful, defiling nature of unforgiveness and offense. 
And that's my point about bringing up that story to begin with, is we've got to really deal with it. So here's what Jesus does when he gives us these guidelines. He gives us, you know, three different scenarios. First thing he says is in Mark eleven twenty five. he says, if, if somebody offends you, if, if they do something against you, forgive them. He says, whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him that your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. There's about four verses that say almost the exact same thing. When you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive them. Now, I'm gonna walk you through the process in a minute, and, and, and here's something you gotta know just as I'm, I'm sharing so you don't t- turn me off. Forgiveness is not a feeling. Right. Hallelujah. <laughs> We're gonna get there. So don't turn me off yet. I'm going to get us through the process. But Jesus makes it super clear. If you've got something against somebody, forgive them. And then in in Matthew 18, he he kind of gives another version of it. And it's basically the idea is if you can't get to forgiveness in your own heart, you've got to go to them. And so here it is. If someone sinned against you and you're having a hard time forgiving them between you and the Lord, then, then what do you do? You, you go to them and you work it out, Matthew 18, 15. Moreover, if your brother sins against you, that's a critical thought. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone, alone. <laughs> We do that wrong all the time, don't we? They sin against you, and you're like, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Facebook. (laughs) You ever had a situation where somebody said something about you, and, I mean, your friend did this and that? (laughs) Comments. Yeah, me too, yeah. And, I mean, we work it all out, or we get on the phone, and it's, you know, I just got to, I just got to, I need prayer. Just got to tell you what happened. Go and tell him between you and him alone. If he hears you, you've gained your brother. So what does he do? He says, if your brother sinned against you, you go to them. First, he says, if you've got a problem with somebody, forgive them. He says, if your brother sins against you, go to them and get it worked out. And he even gives guidelines right there in Matthew 18 that if he doesn't hear you, then you bring others together and you work through the situation together as a spiritual family. It's exactly how he says to do it. And then Matthew 5, which I referenced last week, what does he do here? He says, if, if, if you remember that someone has something against you, So in the first two, it's you've got something against someone. First, forgive them. Next, go to them. And then third, if you think they've got a problem with you, guess what? You go to them. Do you see that? We are completely hedged in. You think they got a problem with you or you got a problem with them, guess what's going to happen? Y'all are about to have coffee. Y'all are about to get together. Why? Why did he set this up? because he wants us to keep extremely short accounts. He wants us to deal with these things as quickly as possible. Why? Because he knows the poisonous, defiling nature of unforgiveness. And he set it up this way because he knows we are going to butt heads with each other. We're going to conflict. We're hard-headed. Glory to God. And, and, and we make mistakes. We say things wrong, we, we, we understand things wrong, and, and, and so there's all sorts of challenging intersections that we have to work out. And so in Matthew 5, 23, he says, therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar, notice in Matthew 5 and in Matthew 18 that both situations, it's this moment of prayer. You're presenting yourself before the Lord, and then you're recognizing there's a problem with someone else. He ties in our willingness to overcome conflict and and walk through uh, forgiveness and unforgiveness and get that stuff rooted out. He ties that in with our devotion to him. Guys, it matters to God. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First, be reconciled to your brother and then 
come and offer. And so the point is this, that he is actually saying, it's so important to me that you learn how to walk in love and forgiveness with one another. He goes, I am exalting this, that if you're trying to come in and, 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 and worship, that you actually need to get this thing dealt with instantly. And I would just say this, I cannot tell you how many times I've come into the prayer room and I start just with my, you know, just my pattern of prayer with the Lord. I love you, Jesus. You love me. Praise God. And he goes, how about your wife? Do you love her? I go, well, of course I do. And he goes, well, what about that thing you said last night or this morning? And I cannot tell you how many times my wife has gotten a phone call at about 8.15 or a text message about five to 10 minutes after I started my time in the prayer room going, baby, I am so sorry. Uh, please forgive me. I said something that was this way or we need to get our stuff worked out. I mean, that's happened lots and lots. She could tell you she's over there saying yes. It's never her fault, praise God. <laughs> Let's just be real. <laughs> and, uh, but that's the point. The Lord so often when we present ourselves before him, he will direct us right to the person that we've got a conflict with to get it worked out. That's not the devil. Some of y'all are in prayer. You're like, Lord, I love you. He's going, hey, go get, make it right with someone. And you're like, I bind you, devil. I bind you. The Lord's going, you can't bind me. I'm God. Go make it right. The devil's trying to confuse me. He's trying to distract me in my prayer time. No, he's not. Trying to get you to get rid of offense, accusation, unforgiveness. Why? These things will inhibit you from stepping into what God has for your life. They will cut off the flow of the grace of God. We have got to get clean, beloved. And that means we've got to go to people. Let me just mention this point. When you go to somebody that you've been holding, uh, that, that, that has done something that's caused a offense in your own heart toward them, when you go to them, you do not go to them and say, by the way, I need to talk to you. You've done this, 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 and this, and this, but I forgive you. Oh, I feel better. That's not how it goes. If you've got to go to them because you're hurt, because you're holding unforgiveness against them, guess what the first thing you've got to do is? Confess your unforgiveness. Jesus had something to say about this in Matthew 7, that you do not judge someone because in regard to them, the issue is always a speck, and in regard to you, the issue is always a plank. And that keeps the balance nice and humble. He said, you don't remove the speck in your brother's eye when you've got a plank in your own. And the point is, it's always a plank as it refers to us. It's always a speck as it refers to them. Keep that mentality and you'll go in humbly instead of going accusing 10 things that you think they've done you wrong in. Mm. Praise God. <laughs> I love you guys. Happy Thanksgiving. Okay, so what's the limit of forgiveness? Roman numeral three, what's the limit of forgiveness? When do we cut them off? I remember one time uh, I, was, I was working with this when I was a youth pastor. I was working with these teenagers, and, and you know, teenagers, sometimes they can be knuckleheads. And I had one particular one that was extra knuckly. And I said to the Lord, that's it. I'm done. I'm done. And he said, that's okay, you're done, okay. He goes, let me just ask you this. Would you want me to cut you off like you're cutting them off? The limit that you're now cutting them off, is that the limit you want me to deal with you on? I said, um, no. <laughs> And I felt the invitation of the Lord into that place of saying, okay, 
I'm not going to throw anybody away. I won't throw anybody away. I'm only going to throw somebody away when they've hit the limit that I would want God to throw me away, which is never. And that's what he was teaching in, in Matthew 18. Right after that whole conversation on go to your brother and, 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 and work it out between you and him, and if not, bring two to three others. And, and, and then Peter, he pipes up, and he, Peter thinks he's, he's, feeling it, he's feeling himself. He goes, how often should I forgive my brother in a day if he sins against me? Uh, uh, seven times? And you can just kind of feel Peter going, I think I could do seven times. And he goes, Peter, you are so cute. Put your bird chest back in. You're so cute. I don't say seven times. I say 70 times seven. And in my mind, I imagine Peter going, 490? How? 490? Do you know how many seconds there are, how many minutes there are in a day? This guy's got to be sitting against me like clockwork. And the point is, some of you guys already did the math. And you thought, well, 500 times, and I got this many minutes, and I have to figure this guy. And I'm like, every five minutes, every 10 minutes, I'm like, figure with somebody. I mean, how many times are they going to sit against me? I got to every time, 10 minutes, 10 minutes. That's not the point. The point isn't 490. The point is limitless. That's what Jesus is doing. And here's why Jesus is able to do that because he's speaking on the authority of a God who is limitless forgiveness for people. Limitless forgiveness in scope of sin and limitless forgiveness when someone says yes to grace and repentance. Limitless. Now think about this. No one has ever sinned an infinite sin against you. But every sin we've ever sinned against God is an infinite sin. What do I mean by that? He's infinitely holy, and thus the, the, uh, the sin, the, the reproach that we've bought, brought to him, that we've done against him, is infinite in its scale. It's an infinite wrong. He's infinitely perfect. Therefore, our sin is infinitely wicked, which means this, his forgiveness is infinitely gracious. And on the authority of the God who gives infinite mercy and infinite grace and infinite forgiveness, he then tells us to give limitless mercy, grace, and forgiveness. Now, I want to just add this as a, as a parenthesis. I know there are real people in real situations that are actually abusive. They're physically abusive. They're mentally abusive. Those are real things. You can have forgiveness, but that doesn't mean you stay in the situation and remain a punching bag. You can completely forgive and remove yourself from the situation by which you're getting abused, okay? Jesus isn't talking about stay in there and get beaten, but he is talking about a free heart and forgiveness, and I've met people who've been through abusive things, the most difficult things, the things that would make your, just make you weep, and they found pure forgiveness, clean-hearted, free-hearted forgiveness, but they also at the same time put boundaries in place. Everybody say boundaries. So as not to get abused again. Amen. So what, does, what is Jesus, what's he doing here? He's bringing us to this place where we, where we offer limitless forgiveness uh, to, the, to our offenders. And this is a radical, radical truth. Hear me, this isn't just a good idea. This is what we as believers are called to live in, limitless forgiveness. And we play little games with this. We say, oh, well, I forgive them, but I won't forget. And that's not legit. Because forgiveness frees you and it frees your offender. Now, I'm going to walk through the detail of that because that feels like you have now just disempowered yourself, like you've put yourself in this position of frailty and, 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 and vulnerability that seems like it's, it, it's not okay. And, and, and the point isn't uh, to put yourself in harm's way, but here's what you find, that when you step into forgiveness, which is a power God has granted each of us, we step out of the place of judgment. 
And when we step out of the place of judgment, now we're actually stepping out of a place that God has not given us. Okay, Matthew 7, he's really clear that you don't judge that way. Now, there's righteous ways that we judge, but there's unrighteous judgment that he comes against in Matthew 7. When we play judge and jury over somebody, we're stepping into an authority that God has not granted us in this age. And what happens is we exalt ourselves and play God. And guess what? God is opposed to the proud and gives grace to the humble. So he calls us to the place of mercy and forgiveness, and he empowers us to walk into that place because what does he do? He reserves judgment for who? Himself. See, if you play judge and jury and you enact vengeance and justice in the flesh, guess what you've just done? Cut off God from being the one who enacts vengeance and justice. He says, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. And so many humans, they get into that place of vengeance and justice because they do not believe that he's the God who will make all the wrong things right. But I'll tell you, I can forgive and release. I can trust because God is the one who's gonna make all the wrong things right. And therein, I'm secure. I can't watch my own back, but he can. I can't make it right for me, but he can. And so if I will do what I'm supposed to do, which is get into that channel of forgiveness and grace and mercy, then God is now free to bring justice any way that he sees fit. But if I take that justice rod into my hand, now I'm in a position that I'm not authorized to be in. And all of a sudden, I corrupt myself stepping into an authority that is his and not mine. Am I making sense? Amen. So help us walk through this. I'm going to try. In your notes, Roman numeral four, I give you biblical keys to navigating conflict. These are really principles that show you how to walk through this stuff with people. And, and so I just want to touch them really, really quickly. And I want to call you to refer back to this when it, when it comes to walking through conflict. There's so many verses here that will get your heart ready. And I would encourage you, go through, read the verses. If you're in a conflict, go through, read the verses. Let the verses, let them massage your heart and till up the ground of your heart so that you can walk through a conflict with freedom. First, I've already said that we've got to recognize that everybody mistreats and misjudges, and everybody's been mistreated and misjudged. Second, recognize that we're not to step into judgment, as I just mentioned. Third, we're, to, we're called to bear long with one another. Christians, that's y'all, right? We're to never cancel anyone. That's not Christianity. That's something else. We don't cancel people. We bear with them. We pray for them. We believe the best. Love believes the best. Love takes no record of wrong. Love looks for the path of redemption. Christians don't cancel. We humble ourselves, not looking out for our own interests, but the interests of others. We're quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. You know, when I realize that I'm in trouble when I get into a conflict, not when I get into the conflict, I realize I'm in trouble when I start sounding like a lawyer. I got all my things lined up. I start litigating. You can't even finish your sentence because I got the answer to the next thing right now. Before you even get to your period, I've already got a capital letter ready to go. My sentences are stacked up, and I will beat you to a pulp. Then I know I'm in sin because I am not quick to hear, slow to speak slow to anger. That's how we're called to walk through conflicts. 
already mentioned it, as much as it depends on you, be at peace. Another main philosophy is seek to understand first, not to be understood. Start with, I want to understand. Help me understand. I don't understand. I need to understand. And then recognize that regardless of the offense, forgiveness is required. Okay. All right, in your notes, Roman rule five, steps to reconciliation. And I'm walking through these quickly because I want to get down to this last part, steps to overcoming offense. Steps to reconciliation, we walk, we walk into a, a conflict, we go to meet with someone, we're, we're following the biblical pattern of Matthew 5, Matthew 18, we go with an open heart, we want to hear what they have to say. I, I, I love this, my, one of my, uh, one of my uh, key spiritual mentors taught me this, he said, even if somebody brings you a criticism, it's good for you, because you're getting a free consultation, Hallelujah. The key is trying to be humble enough to sit through the consultation. There's 15 things you're doing wrong. Oh, oh good. Let's go through them right now. Hang on. Listen to everything they say. Try to see from their side. Try to get on their team. They're in pain. Empathize with the pain they feel. The pain's real. People feel pain all the time. You feel pain right now. People are always feeling something. Go ahead and get on their team and say, man, I, I can see how that could be hurtful. I can see how that would, would hurt you. Empathize. Take ownership for what you can. Sometimes people have a hurt that it's really difficult to figure out. It's something that, a fire that was already burning. It's really difficult to figure out how what you've done has caused that thing to be triggered. But, but take ownership for whatever you can. Sometimes you are the, the culprit. Take ownership for, for whatever you can. Sincerely ask for forgiveness. Offer to make restitution. This is a big one. Commit not to do that again. You know, I've stepped in it so many times. 25 years of pastoral ministry, you just step in it with people. You just do. You say the wrong thing. You try, you mess up. Sometimes you just lose your temper. You're just human. And, and you get it wrong. And It's really important, though, in a conflict when you've done wrong, to hear what it is, take ownership for it, and then just say, man, in the grace of God, I don't want to do that again. I am so sorry. I just don't want to do that again. Please forgive me. And if we can have good faith like that in, in, in the spiritual family, beloved, we can get through anything really get through anything because that means we're all committing in the grace of God to live with understanding with one another. And then if there's a misunderstanding, if you feel like the, the conflict is something that was just beyond what, but really what, what you were intending, then ask if you could give understanding to what you meant. There's a difference, hear me, there's a massive difference between explaining what you meant and justifying sinful actions. <laughs> We're not saying justify sinful actions, own sinful actions and repent. But if there's a misunderstanding, you said it's hot and they heard it's cold. So you know what? Can I explain that, what I, what I meant by that? Because I really meant it was cold, not hot. I meant the opposite. Does that make sense? All right. In the notes, I've given you barriers to forgiveness. I won't go through these in detail, but... They're there, expectations, emotions, self-protection, and pride are barriers to forgiveness. I'll mention self-protection because I found this with people that are walking through conflicts and they're holding someone in unforgiveness and they say this, they say, well, if I forgive them, then who's gonna look out for me? If I forgive them, then how can I let them go free? And the point is, you're not letting them go free. You're letting you go free. You're stepping out of jail. See, unforgiveness is a real deception because we think if we're holding somebody in unforgiveness, we're putting them in jail. But instead, we're not putting them in jail. We're putting ourselves in jail. So when we actually step into forgiveness, I mean, yes, we're letting them out of the jail that we've constructed, 
But truly, when we step into forgiveness, we're actually getting set free. And that is critical, and it gives room for the Lord to enact justice in the way that the Lord chooses. And he is just. He is just. His throne is established on righteousness and justice. We must allow the Lord to make things right and not take matters into our own hands. Can I get an amen? So often, human flesh gets on display when we talk about we got to make it right. And the Lord's the one with the answers to that. All right, I'm going to take the, the last bit of our time, next, next 10 minutes, and I want to talk about steps to overcoming offense. In your notes, it's the last Roman numeral, Roman numeral 7. Again, I want to ask you to go back and, and refer to these notes. I think that they will serve you, and that's why I've published them for you. Steps to overcoming offense. First, first step, Decide. I called you to this last week. I'm calling, it, calling you to it again. Decide that you're not going to be, live bound by unforgiveness, bitterness, and offense. Just decide. Decide that is not your portion. That is not your future. That is not what you're willing to live like. You can make a decision internally that you aren't going to live offended, that you're going to live unoffended in love with Jesus Make that decision, and then the steps that I'm going to give you are going to help you to walk out that decision. That's not always easy. I'm not acting like this is easy. Some people have been through things that are so terrible. I mean, horrible to think about. I understand that. I've been through some challenges, but I've met people who have been through many, many, many more hardships than me. And I've seen in their lives that they've walked free from unforgiveness and offense. I know The power of Jesus is available to set us free. Can I get an amen? So decide. I'm unwilling to live offended. I'm unwilling. Secondly, identify. Sometimes you just feel ruffled by somebody and you don't know why. You ever have that? Person's just ruffling your feathers and you're like, I can't figure it out. I don't know what it is. I just, it just... This is bugging me. Well, what you have to do is you have to determine, I mean, you have have to uh, identify what it is that's got you offended with the person. And and in the notes, I've created this this kind of continuum, and the middle line is sin. And this is where Jesus draws the middle line. If your brother has sinned against you, then you go to them. And, And so what Jesus is dealing with are offenses that are sins against you, and offenses that are perceived, but maybe the other person didn't actually sin. And so I I put in the notes and and describe things like disagreements, which I talked about last week, things like misunderstandings, things like philosophical differences. These are not sins. They're just different. They're just different. If we're offended because of misunderstandings and disagreements, and there's no sin, then we need to deal with our own heart in that area and and get clean of the offense. If there's no sin there, then then, then we really need to go ahead and and step into that place of forgiveness. Lower our uh, perception of our own opinion and open your heart to other people's opinions. But if there has been what I would say bona fide harm If there has been slander, betrayal, backbiting, outbursts of anger, rage, abuse, if these things have taken place, if sin has been enacted against you, then you have to understand what it is that's happened. And so often, we're just upset and we don't know why. And, and, and you know, I always just come back to my my marriage, and I, I talk about the difficulties. Let me just be really clear. My wife and I have an awesome marriage. <laughs> it's amazing. We have an amazing marriage, but it's because we've walked through hard stuff. But so often, when we have had conflict, when I've, I've sat back and tried to identify, why are we having this conflict? Many times, there's no sin involved. It's just misunderstanding. And if it's just misunderstanding, forgiveness comes much easier. 
if it is what I would say bona fide uh, hurt, uh, bona fide harm, then there's a process in your soul that you have to get to forgiveness on. You know, I want to mention this. The idea that we're called to forgive, the idea that we're called to forgive, it, it presupposes that people are going to do harm to us. You, ca- you catch that? We're called over and over and over to forgive. Why? Because Jesus knew people would be harming us. So forgiveness is this thing that we actually have to find in the grace of God to offer to somebody who's legitimately done us wrong. So thirdly, after we decide, after we identify what this is, then we determine. We determine we're gonna forgive. And I just wanna make this point. Forgiveness is both a, a decision, a determination, and a process. It's both. There's a moment you say, okay, I am in in the name of Jesus by faith and obedience and the word of God, I am going to forgive. I I choose to forgive. And, And then the process is working out the challenges in your emotions, okay, where you continue to apply that faith of forgiveness until your emotions begin to line up. And I just want to just make this really, really clear to you. Your emotions don't have to determine how you live. Your will can determine how you live. If I followed my emotions, I would have been dead by now. My emotions are like a drunk clown. Seriously. I have so many emotional rockets going off all the time. If I followed those things, I would have been dead. You have to bring your emotions under the governance of the Holy Spirit. There's two ways that I do it. What I will say, what I will do is I will say out of my mouth, I choose to go with what the Bible says. I choose to forgive. I decide to release. I will say it out of my mouth instead of playing that game on the inside in my mind. Here's what I found. If I play in here, I lose every time. But if I will take authority over my will and my mind and my emotions with my mouth, say it out loud, I choose to forgive, all of a sudden, my my will and my emotions line up with my choice. And and you have to say it. Seriously, you got to say it. You you know, you got somebody that's harmed you, that's done you wrong, and you're over there, and you're trying to, like, find forgiveness somehow, and you don't feel like it, and all the accusations are going on up here, and you're having the argument in your mind, do you know what I'm saying? You're doing both sides in your head. That's always a loser. Having both sides of the argument in your mind makes you step into the place of judgment. What you have to do is, in that moment, you're feeling all this stuff. In the name of Jesus, I cast down every thought that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. I will not listen to accusation right now. I determine, in Jesus' name, to step into forgiveness. I choose to forgive and then say their name. Say it. I choose to, some of you guys right now going, I choose to forgive Billy. I choose. You have to say their name out of your mouth. And it's wild. When you hear yourself say that, what happens and how you line up on the inside. It's amazing how your will, it will will determine where your emotions go. And you bring accountability to yourself through that determination. The second way is, I say it the first way. The second way is, I pray in tongues. I pray in the Spirit to get myself under obedience to the Holy Ghost. I want to get my mind, my will, my emotions lined up with the Spirit of God because I'll guarantee you the Holy Spirit isn't on the inside of you coming up with every accusation and judgmental thought and doing both sides of the conversation in your head. That is not the Holy Spirit. So I will pray in tongues until the storm on the inside stops. And, uh, you know, sometimes it's awkward at my house. We're watching TV. We're watching the thing, and I'm over here, and I'm praying. 
And they were like, uh, is it, are, you, are you praying the Bulldogs would win the game? I'm like, Shanda. <laughs> get my, I, I say this, we got to get our soul under control. And I go, I'm getting my soul under control. Because sometimes the storm doesn't stop until you command it, peace be still. Amen. And I do that by, I speak it, I speak the word, and I pray in the spirit. Amen. I would encourage you, man, if you are under, if you are under the accusations of the devil towards somebody, get in tongues. Get praying in the spirit. You'll pray the perfect will of God. And then the next thing you know, you go from praying in the spirit to saying, I bless so-and-so, I bless them, I bless their family, I bless their mind, I bless their life, I bless their finances, I bless them. I pray that their soul would prosper and be in health. I pray, God, that you would use them for your kingdom and you just get into a flow of blessing those who curse you. Listen, this isn't just being a goody two-shoes and just, you know, I'm just going to be a good person and do this. No, you, sometimes you've got to fight the good fight of faith. You know what I'm saying? You've got to lay hold on eternal life. You've got you to you know, exert your will in that, that manner. And this area is one of those key areas. And I'll say it out of my mouth. And I'll pray in the Spirit. And then I'll bless them. Next, after you identify after you decide, you engage. And what does that mean? You engage with the Lord over the pain. So often people hop, engage, they just move right to release, but they can't release and they don't know why. And it's because they never sat with the Lord and engaged with him over the hurt that they felt, over the activity of trespass that they felt against themselves. They never asked the Lord, where were you? Why did you allow this to happen? What were you thinking? What's your perspective? God, I need you. There's something about sitting in it with the Lord, and he will touch you in those places of pain. He will meet you right there. And we have a Bible verse called Philippians 3.10. He says, he will fellowship with you in suffering. And it's one of the depths of the knowledge of God that I may know him, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings. And there's places that God will allow you to go through in suffering that touches something in the heart of God. Jesus was despised and rejected. He'll allow you to go through suffering so you can find him in that place and come to know him as the suffering servant. Come to know him who, though he was perfect, he was reviled. And when he was reviled, he didn't open his mouth. Though he was God in the flesh, they called him Beelzebub. Think about that. He was perfect God. And they said, you are the devil. The exact opposite of who he was. Have you ever had somebody say something against you, do something to you, and accuse you of being something the exact opposite of who you are? What's Jesus doing in that place? Come fellowship with me. Come fellowship with me. I want you to know me. Why would he allow that? Because the momentary light affliction is working for you a far more eternal and exceeding weight of glory. You engage with the Lord in that place. And you mourn it. You say, God, this hurt. He goes, I know. I was betrayed, Lord. He goes, I know. They lied about me, Jesus. I know. They abused me, Lord. He goes, I know. And I'm telling you, that place of engaging with the pain with the Lord is the escort to freedom. And freedom comes in the next part, which is release. And that's the moment when you do the forgiveness. You don't just decide and declare it. You actually release the person. And this is the process that I go through when I feel like I've been wronged. I come back to the cross 
hear me. I come back to the cross and I see Jesus Christ, perfect God, bludgeoned, bloodied, hanging from the cross. I see him there, beaten and abused. And I realize that my sin put him on the cross. And I stare at the cross and I realize he has forgiven me everything that I've done. And he took all of my punishment upon himself. The infinite wickedness of my own sin has been paid for by him who is perfect. He's extended to me grace in the uttermost. And in light of that grace that's flowed to me, that mercy that's flowed to me, it's in that moment under that fountain, I extend grace. And and I'll literally say it. I, I extend grace right now. I release mercy to the offender. I release them and I forgive them and I let them go. And it's in that moment, that weight of judgment, that weight of offense, that weight of unforgiveness, I'll feel it come off me. I'll feel my soul come out of prison. And sometimes I'll have that moment. If, I've, if I feel like I've been harmed, I'll walk through it and I'll have that moment, I'll forgive. And then a day later, two days later, I'm feeling that same pain of, I got done wrong. And it's the accusation of the enemy. He goes, you didn't really forgive. And I go, no, 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 I, I did. I made a choice. And the enemy goes, no, 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 you still feel bad about it. You didn't forgive. I go, no, no, I did forgive. And I stand right now under the power of the blood of Jesus and the power of the mercy of the cross. Go get behind me, Satan. Get behind me. You have no authority in my life. I won't play your game. Because what's he doing right there? He's setting the trap again. Remember last week, we talked about the trap and the trap stick. He sets the trap again. Tries to put a little feeling, a a little bad emotion on it. Just because you have a bad emotion, that doesn't mean you haven't forgiven. Come on. No, no. My emotions, I command them to line up with the word of God. I go, no, 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 I I did forgive and I'm under the power of the blood of Jesus and I've released mercy and I bless them. And I'll tell you what, devil, if you wanna keep telling me I didn't forgive them, I'm gonna keep interceding for so-and-so until God breaks in with glory over their life. How about that? And that's what I do. The more the devil accuses someone to me, the more I intercede for them. And I don't intercede for them like, God, just get them. Get them, God. I don't do that. I start praying for every blessing, spiritual, physical, I mean, multiplying, anointing, grace, glory, financial, peace, beauty, love, all just to overwhelm them, that they would become the dream that God has for them. And that's my last one, overcome. Because he'll come back after you've released and he'll, he'll, he'll accuse you and say you didn't forgive. And the Bible has the answer to that and it's active. We actively engage and we overcome by blessing those who curse us, doing good to those who spitefully use us and abuse us. Matthew 5, verse 44, loving our enemies, praying for those who persecute us. Romans 12, 17, he says, repay no one evil for evil. Think about that. Repay no one evil for evil. That is so intense. I want to be that person. I've not been that person perfectly. There's been times I've been okay about it but not perfectly, I wanna be that person. Doesn't matter how many times you punch me in the face, you're gonna get blessed. Come on, no matter how much you do against me, I'm gonna see to it that you're gonna, you're gonna be blessed. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. Here it is, verse 18, if it's possible, as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Verse 19, listen to these words, do not avenge yourselves. Do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. 
For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Watch this, verse 20. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Last thought, this is what the bride at the end of the age is going to look like. Loving, blessing, giving, doing good to all those that mistreat us and hurt us, all those that betray. We're going to, instead of betraying back, we're going to bless. All those that persecute, we're going to pray. We're going to overcome the enemy. Watch, by the blood of the lamb, the word of our testimony, and not loving our own lives even unto the death. This is radical Christianity right here. This is radical stuff right here. And you know what? We look just like Jesus when we walk this out. And that's what the bride's going to be, a people who looks just like Jesus. Oh, this is who I want to be. This is how I want to live. Amen? Amen. Let's stand.